Yeah, Lord, I want to thank you for this, this man of God, Lord. Um, I want to thank you for him, Lord, that he's come to speak to us, Lord, and you've prepared his heart and his mind, Lord, just to, to deliver your word. Lord, I want to thank you for the encouragement that he is, a man that always seems to have a smile on his face, Lord, and, and always seems to be full of the joy of God, Lord. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you've brought him here this morning to speak to us. So, Lord, would you give him strength in his spirit this morning, Lord? Would you encourage him as he speaks to us, Lord? And give him boldness to speak to us so that, so that even the, the, when you, Lord, when you give a, a word that is a, a warning or a rebuke, Lord, that it would come through, Lord, uh, uh, with, with your authority, Lord. Mm. We, Lord, we pray for Tom now and we ask you to fill him full of your spirit as we speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us to be here. Um, Jasmine is here. She's with John and Simon in the back. Um, I'm Tom. If you've not met me before, I know it's really good to be here and see some, see some old friends. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, Jasmine's out with my, my two boys. I've got John. He's three. And Sam, he's about 10 months old now. Um, yeah, so busy, busy times. Um, greetings to you from Rochester. Um, things are going all right over there. Um, we... Yeah, we, we, we feels like the last few weeks we've had a real, um, some times of, of God moving among us as well. It, like, it was fantastic this morning, wasn't it? It was really, really good. Um, it's a praise God that's happening. It's not just happening here, it's happening um, all around the communities as well. And um, if you don't know what I am, what I am who, who I am, what I'm doing, um, I'm employed three days a week with the church um, to do some of the social media stuff, um, to do some of the work with Church Suite. Um, and a little bit of work strengthening um, and supporting the, the staff team as well. Um, the other half of my week, I'm at Bible College, um, and so I really enjoy the Bible. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today. Now, when you, when you failed at something, it's much harder to have another go at it, isn't it? I remember um, when I took my driving test, um, and I, I hadn't failed many things before, but I you know, got in the car, thought it was going all right, um, got to the end of the test, thought that was pretty good, and I'd been completely oblivious that I'd like cut off a line of traffic coming up a roundabout. <laughs> so the examiner said, no, no, you failed, sorry about that. Um, but I remember the feeling of going home and sitting down by myself, I didn't want to be with anyone else, that feeling of disappointment, of failure. I tell you, it was much harder to get back in the car, back, back in my instructor's car after that for the second go. And like, funnily enough, it wasn't just the car. I took a motorbike test as well. Um, and part of that, just before we went to Vietnam, I wanted to have some experience. Part of that, you've got to do a U-turn without putting your feet down on the floor. Um, but it's a heavy bike. It was like a 600cc bike. And you, you've got to believe that the thing will turn and you won't fall over. Um, and I think in the back of my mind, I had my first driving test. And so I went for the turn, and I veered way over the line over here. And I failed that one first time as well. So... But when we've got something wrong, badly wrong, it can be much harder to have another go, can't it? And it's way more difficult when that failure is to do with sin or our faith. When we've been praying for someone for ages and we've just about screwed up the courage to talk to them or to get out on the streets, and then it goes down like a lead balloon. And then we need to see them the next day at work or at school. It's harder, isn't it? Or worse, when we've let down God by slipping into an old sin, and we repent, and we really mean it, and we ask for the Spirit's help to change, and we really are forgiven, 
But I don't know about you, but for me, I still feel like there's something in me that just can't quite get to grips with grace. And I feel like I need to go around with my tail between my legs for a few days because I feel like God's not pleased with me. And like I can't pray for a while. But that's not how it works. God isn't like that. We've heard this morning how, how um, willing he is to, to, to come and be among us. But I'm a human, and that's how it feels sometimes to me. I'm discouraged, and it makes it harder for me to pick myself up again. Well, if that's how failure feels to us now, it sure felt pretty bad to the Israelites when we catch up with them at the start of chapter 8. You remember what happened last week in chapter 7? This is sort of part two to that story. One man's sin, Achan's sin, brought shame and defeat on the whole nation. They found out, they dealt with it, but I reckon they would have been feeling pretty vulnerable, pretty scared to go up and have another go at AI. I'm pretty uncertain, maybe, whether they were in God's good books. I mean, like, listen, the, the fate of God's people hangs in the balance. There's a lot at stake here. God has said, I will give this land to you, and they've just been defeated. God's word is at stake. His people's existence is at stake. They were supposed to drive out their enemies, the enemies that terrified their fathers so much that their fathers turned around and went back into the wilderness. Wouldn't it be safer to hang around in the camp for a few days? You know, just to make sure that God really isn't angry anymore. But that's not how God's forgiveness works. Let's open up the Bible. Let's read chapter 8. I'm going to read from the NIV. Joshua chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. And I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they're running away from us like they did before. So when we flee from them... You are to rise up from the ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai, with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. 
So the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush over to the west of it. And that night Joshua went into the valley. And when the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing towards the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from the city, they turned round and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day. All the people of Ai for Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole, and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. It's not easy reading, is it? But it is the word of the Lord. <laughs> and we're going to see what he has to say to us today. And here's the comforting thing right at the start of that chapter. When we're feeling ashamed... When we've suffered a defeat, God takes the initiative. He knows how Joshua is feeling, and he says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Do you need to hear that this morning? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Have you brought your sin to the cross? Then hear God's reassurance. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God isn't angry with you. He hasn't given you over to your enemies. He's not given up on you, and he's not going to abandon you. I'm a father to two boys now, um, and because one of them is three years old, I'm needing to start to learn how to, um, how to discipline in love. 
Sometimes when something goes wrong, I need to deal with it. Um, I love him too much to let that issue grow. It needs to be nipped in the bud. But discipline is for the purpose of growth into maturity. I'm only a fairly new dad, but I get that. I don't want my boys to be afraid. I want them to know that I love them so much that I care about teaching them right and wrong. And if he makes a mistake and he comes to me to deal with it, I love that. I'm proud of him. I'm not angry with the mistake. I'm pleased that he wants to make it right. And I'm pleased that he trusts me enough to bring it to me to talk to me about it. Now, I know that's not a perfect analogy, but there's something of how God sees his children there. Don't be discouraged. Joshua and the rest of the Israelites demonstrated at the end of chapter 7 that they took sin seriously. We heard that from Jim last week. And they took obedience to God seriously. God doesn't want them to mope around feeling defeated. Who community? Do you take holiness seriously as a church? I know you do. I listened to the recording of Jim preaching last week. You do take it seriously. Then don't be discouraged. If you're looking around at your neighbors or your workmates or your class and you're feeling like you can't face it trying to talk to them about Jesus again, don't be discouraged. You've been defeated before. You've taken some knocks. You're God's people. Hear what he says to you. God says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and to the kings as you did to Jericho and to its king, except you may carry off the plunder. Set an ambush behind the city. And they do. Joshua follows God's instructions exactly. He chooses 30,000 men, mighty men of valor, it says in the ESV. And he sends them out to hide behind Ai and get ready to ambush the city. He tells them what God has promised in verse 7, and he encourages them, verse 8, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then he gathers all the elders and leads the whole army up against the city. They have to climb up a lot of hills to get there, and it must have been hard work knowing they were going to the site of their defeat. But they camp there across the valley from the city with the ambush in place and the promise of God in their ears. And the night falls, and Joshua walks in the valley, verse 13. And I bet he was praying hard for his people, getting ready for the fight. Don't be discouraged. And the king of Ai sees them coming, and he's rubbing his hands together, thinking, come on, they're back for more? Losers. He's so excited, he rushes out with everybody, with all his reinforcements, because he's so sure of himself. King of Ai. Do you know what it means? King of the ruin. He's arrogant, isn't he? King of the ruin. He's so sure of himself, he's so spoiling for a fight, that he's running out of the city against God's people without even looking behind him to see that there's an ambush in place. Straight into Joshua's trap. And even now, Israel could have been scared. Their pretend flight could really easily have turned into a real one could have become real panic. But just at the right time, God steps in to direct them again. Verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out towards Ai the javelin. Don't be discouraged. 
With God against them in chapter 7, Israel couldn't win. With God for them in chapter 8, they can't lose. The ambush is sprung. They set the city on fire and run out to cut off AI's escape. The rest is history. Friends, like especially as you're going out on Saturday onto the streets, I don't, you, might have discovered, you might have tried it before. You might have suffered knocks. I don't know. But don't be discouraged. I don't know what defeats you might have um, struggled with personally this past year. Persistent battles with sin. Slogging away in evangelism and not really getting very far. Working hard to build a church on this peninsula. You can hold your head high and you can know your father's pleasure. If you're being obedient to God, you can't lose. My first teaching job was in a school at Chatham, and it was a bit of a baptism by fire. Um, but I knew when I went in as a new teacher, I wanted to set up a club for kids to hear about God. So I got together with the other teacher I knew who was a Christian, and we advertised it, and we, we put it out there, and we sat in my lab, in my science lab, and we waited, and no one came. Yeah, we, it would have been easy to give up to be discouraged. We did it again the next week. I think the only person there was the kid who was in detention. Um, <laughs> we did it again the next week. And th there was a year 11 who, was, who happened to be there, you know, finishing off her coursework. And we got talking. It turned out she's a Christian. And I wondered, oh, maybe, maybe this is it. This is, this is our way in. Let's build this thing. And she never came back. It would have been easy to be discouraged. And, and I mean, in the end, praise the Lord... There turned out to be a, like a, a, a solid group of year eight boys, mostly from my form group, who came along, ate cake, and we read a Bible story together. We talked about the gospel. Um, if, if, if we give up too early, those sorts of things won't happen. Um, and I'm, I'm not sharing that to say that I'm anything special. My next school, I tried to set up the same thing. I got discouraged, and I didn't press on. I didn't really go for it, and it never happened. But when we don't, when we don't lose heart, we can't lose. I know some of you have been praying into this peninsula for generations. You know, there's something significant about the location of AI. Flick with me to Genesis 12 and verses 6 to 8. So Genesis 12, verse 6, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great sea of Morah at Shechem, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to them. Verse 8. From then he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west. Let's get my sides right. And Ai on the right. He's in the middle. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord the exact place where that ambush party was waiting to take the city was a place of worship and prayer hundreds of years ago from their ancestors. Isn't that amazing? And it's not just there. Again, in Genesis 13:3, From the Negev, he went to, from place to place, this is Abram, until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where he'd built his altar before, and where he built his first altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. More worship on that exact same spot. The exact location of the ambush all those years later. The prayers that you have prayed 
aren't in vain. Don't be discouraged. God will give you this land. All right. But, I mean, how does all this war and destruction and burning and killing apply to us today? This passage is all about God using his people to judge wickedness and bring it to destruction. But stick with me to the end before you grab your pitchforks, okay? Let me tell you a tale of two cairns. You know what a cairn is? A silent pile of stones that's raised up to tell a story. Last week, we, we ended with Achan's cairn. Um, Achan the sinner, the people um, killed him, burned him along with his family, and raised um, a pile of stones over the place where he lay so that for generations, that would be a place where they knew God takes sin seriously, if I can get it to stick up. Oh. There we go, I'll leave it there. So back in chapter 7, over by Jericho, God judged wickedness that was internal to his people. The Israelite ended up just like a Canaanite because he'd taken devoted things into his own tent. So he was destroyed by God's people at God's command. They raised a cairn over him as a sobering reminder that holiness matters. Whenever people pass by that cairn, the message was simple. Put sin to death before it kills you. And now in chapter 8, there's another cairn. In verse 29... The king of Ai, the king of the ruin, gets buried under a cairn in a burned city. Another cairn, another warning against sin. And you know the Hebrew is actually identical when it's telling the story of Achan's cairn and the king of Ai's cairn. It doesn't matter whether that sin threat is within God's community or without God's community. God judges wickedness. We have to put sin to death before it kills us. Two cans. Both teaching that God judges wickedness. Now, we're not going to set an ambush behind this school, and I hope we're not going to burn it down either. Although some children might be pleased if we did. Um, this is about seeing victory for this community, though, on this ground. So how does that destruction apply to us? God will judge wickedness. That's a scary thought. And he wants to use you, his church here, to be agents of judgment. But not by fighting people. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, we've heard lots about spiritual warfare recently, haven't we? Here's another encouragement to keep pressing on. There is wickedness all around us. False worship, witchcraft, sexual sins, abuse. The list goes on. You know better than I do the particular strongholds that the devil has on this peninsula. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. 
not on your own, but as a body, an obedient, faithful community. By God's grace, keep on putting sin to death within the church and pray for the destruction of Satan's work outside the church. I'll just take a pause for a second. Maybe turn to the person next to you. What do you do with your time in the week? Where do you spend your time in the week? And in your work, whatever that is, what sin do you see around you? For some, like, for some jobs, like a police officer, that's more obvious. And it's Mother's Day today. For mums, I think seeing sin around them is fairly obvious, we'd all say. Um, but, you know, what, what, where do you see sin around you in your work? And how, how are you working to try and resist that, that sin, to resist the devil, to bring some of God's kingdom there? And just turn to the person next to you for two minutes and talk about what, what do you do with your week? Where do you see sin? What do you do in the week? Where do you see sin in your work? And then how are you praying against it? How are you speaking against it? How are you trying to bring God's kingdom instead? All right, let's, let's come back together. Maybe, can we just have a few people shout out? What, what do you do? What sort of work do we have in the room? Just shout it out. Kim. Um, yeah, I'm sure it must have been. Thank you. Great. What, what, what other professions do we have in the room? What other, what, you know, how do we spend our time? Be brave. Just shout it out. Administrating, yeah, project managing, fantastic. <laughs> like it's amazing the diversity we've got here. Not everyone is working, but everyone is at work for God in the world. Your mother, that's hard work. And you're out there in the community doing this. It's amazing. We worship the same God as Joshua's God. Jesus is coming back to judge all that wickedness that we see once and for all. And as God's holy people, your very presence in the workplace exposes wickedness around you. Your prayers bring down demonic strongholds. Your words and your lives can rescue wicked people from that judgment. That's what we're about. But what does this passage have to say about rescuing evildoers? They weren't rescued. They were all killed. And how can we do that when we're all too aware of the sin that is within our own lives as well? How can I be an agent of God's judgment against wickedness when I'm a sinner? Well, I've got one last point to make, and it's this. Trust the cross of Christ. 
Did you notice what happened to the king of Ai's body before it was buried under the cairn? It was hung on a tree. My NIV says pole, but it's the same Hebrew word for tree. We're looking at verse 29. The NIV says, Joshua impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until the evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body down from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Has anyone here had a go at memorizing a passage of Scripture in these 40 days? It's something we sort of touched down on at the start of the time. I've been having a go at First Peter. I'm making a slow progress. Um, but I tell you, jo- Joshua had been working hard at his Scripture memorization um, since chapter 1 because he knew exactly what he was doing. In Deuteronomy, it says this, If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. The king of Ai represented all his people and his dead body was hung up on a tree to proclaim to everyone, this man and his people are defeated. They are shamed. They are cursed. They are under God's judgment. They have been destroyed by a holy God because of their wickedness. And then when evening came, Joshua takes the body down and has it buried in accordance with God's command. We can probably see the direction this is going in. But this isn't just cutting and pasting Jesus out of the New Testament into this story. He's really there. Can you see the whole point of this chapter is that God's people win because the representative of God's enemies is hung upon a tree, is cursed in judgment for their wickedness. That's why God's people win. Many years later, another Joshua would be born and grow up to lead God's people. He was completely obedient to his father, He taught his followers to put sin to death. He boldly stepped up to challenge his culture's wickedness. And instead of hanging his enemies on the tree, which he had every right to do, he chose to step up onto that tree in their place as their representative, as our representative. We can pick ourselves up again after a fight and after a failure because Jesus hung on the cross and carried our curse, and carried our shame. We can put sin to death because when we trust him, we are no longer fundamentally sinners. He has made us fundamentally saints. Jesus never sinned, but he took all our punishment. Galatians 3:13 to 14 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He has done it. And after he bore the fire of God's wrath, he was taken down before sunset and buried in a tomb and covered by a stone, a great stone. Now, Achan's cairn 
teaches that disobedience leads to God's judgment. Jesus' tomb teaches the same thing. God will judge wickedness. This was our disobedience, our judgment paid for us. The king of Ai's cairn teaches that when God's people are obedient, God gives them success and victory. Jesus' tomb teaches that too. Because unlike these two cairns, they're not still around to this day. The rock that was covering Jesus couldn't even last three full days. Jesus was perfectly obedient, and he has been raised, and in him we will be raised too. His victory given to us. And not just for us, and this is where um, Saturday becomes really important. Remember Rahab? Just as Achan the Israelite effectively became a Canaanite and received destruction, Rahab the Canaanite became effectively an Israelite and received salvation because of the God she trusted. There are others out there who need to hear that their wickedness has been paid for just like ours. Joshua's army ambushed a city. We were ambushed by grace right when we weren't expecting it. Right when we met God and we were expecting judgment for our wickedness, his kindness led us to repentance. Friends, do you feel discouraged? Trust the cross of Christ. Do you fear judgment for your wickedness? Trust the cross of Christ. Do you wonder how you as a community can possibly take ground on this peninsula? Trust the cross of Christ. Don't be discouraged, even when you failed before. Churches that trust and obey Jesus can take ground against forces of wickedness because Jesus bore our curse for our wickedness on the cross. And yes, we need to put our own sin to death and individually lift ourselves up from discouragement, but really, this is about experiencing God's victory as a community. What evils will God bring to justice through you, who community? False worship, witchcraft, sexual sins, abuse. Nothing worse than what Rahab used to be. Nothing worse than what we used to be. Trust the cross of Christ. Keep proclaiming that cross as the only way to be saved. And God's mercy and rescue from judgment and destruction. Hear what God is saying to you. Don't be discouraged. Keep going. Put sin to death. Into your hand I will deliver this city. Trust the cross of Christ. Our fight isn't against sin and blood, but principalities. They were created through Jesus and for Jesus. They're far below Jesus. They've been disarmed, triumphed over, and put to shame at the cross, and they're destined for destruction. Victory here looks like land that's cleansed from evil, through that evil being judged at the cross. Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't that what you're trying to do every day in your work? Don't be discouraged. Put us into death. Trust in the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage in your word. Thank you that it speaks to us today. We thank you so much for the cross that you took all our guilt and wickedness. Lord, the judgment, the punishment that we deserved, you took in our place as our representative. 
Lord, I pray for, for my dear brothers and sisters here. Lord, lift them up. Like you've been speaking to them this morning, Lord, may they know your presence among them, your pleasure with them because of Jesus. Lord, lift their eyes. May they not be discouraged. Father, help them to put their sin to death by the power of the Spirit. And Lord, not just theirs, but we pray that in Jesus' name, across this peninsula, wickedness and the work of the devil will be brought down by these people's prayers and these people's proclamation. And Lord, above all, may we trust the cross of Christ. We love you. We're grateful for what you've done for us. Lead us now, we pray. Amen. Amen.